Welcome to Focused on Forward. The purpose of this podcast is to focus on recovery from life situations, be it a disease, chronic or acute, perhaps the loss of someone so dear to you in death, or a change of life patterns that has affected you so profoundly that you have no choice but to find your new normal and become focused on moving forward. Each episode is designed to show the positivity that people bring to each and every one of their stories, the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Focused on Forward. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Sarah Bradford. And I've invited Sarah onto the show because she hosts another podcast. As a fellow podcaster, uh, sometimes it's interesting to bring on other podcasters because it's not just that we're scratching each other's backs and you know and having each other on the show, but a lot of times we get an opportunity to learn more about our fellow podcasters, their backstories, what makes them tick, and why they do what they do. Well, today uh, I have Sarah here on Focused on Forward because she has a backstory and why she got into podcasting, why she does what she does, and why she hosts a podcast called The S.J. Childs Show. Now, that show talks a lot about education and resources, exploring neurodiversity, and why it's important to celebrate that diverse type of thinking in our, in our world today. So, Sarah, thank you so much for being a guest today on Focused on Forward. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Tim. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. To, I'm excited to hear your story. I'm excited to hear uh, about all the things that have led you to the point of of of, of being a podcaster, of, of being an author, being the person that you are. Uh, I love learning about people's backstories. So when you're ready, would you please take us through your story? Oh, I'd love to. Thank you so much. So I am um, a mother of three and a wife. I've been with my husband for 18 years. Uh, So quite a long, wonderful, healthy marriage. And throughout that, we have um, discovered along the way, the neurodiverse thinking that is within our family. And it started about a decade ago, when our son was diagnosed with autism at the early age of 16 months. And at the time, he obviously being so little, he was um, my first biological child. I do have a stepdaughter that's that's older. So I had been raising her and kind of seeing what that looked like, you know, as a, as a parent. Um, but when we had our own child and things looked a little bit different, and I mean that in the sense that he was reading at the age of one, And um, by, like I said, 16 months, he was diagnosed with autism. And at the beginning, it was very overwhelming. And there was a lot of just fear about not knowing how to support him. Uh, And so I just dove really deep into educating myself and learning as much as I could about autism and about uh, neurology, neuroscience, and, and things like that. I, I love to research. And so lucky for me, um, you know, I was able to, to really just jump right in. And through the research and through learning about autism, 
uh, I was able to really uncover some unique uh, perspectives and things that worked for our child. I always like to tell people, you know, I'm not a medical professional, I'm not a therapist, but I do have an anecdotal story to tell that has a lot of um, goods and bads that a lot of families could take away from. And at the very beginning, uh, one thing that I came across immediately was the effect that gluten and casein could have on a neurodiverse brain. And that was that it is a protein that both of those things are proteins and that they affect the body in different ways. The uh, casein, which is found in milk and dairy, was causing what I believe was inflammation in my son's neuropaths, which was restricting his ability to speak and therefore he was nonverbal. But he was reading, so I knew that he was taking in information because he was doing this program called the Your Baby Can Read program from years ago. And he would do things like clap your hands or raise your hand, or he could just, you could tell that he was, you know, reading the words across the screen, doing the actions. And, um, but going back to what we saw with when we did the, case and removal was that within, I think he was like three and a half, maybe three when we did that. And he started to speak within the first week of us removing milk out of his system. All of the words that he had been gaining, like gorilla and, you know, just these crazy words that a little kid just learning to speak wouldn't normally just come out with these full, you know, expressions. Um, and so it was really, really fascinating. And he was about two years old when he started to write. And I recognized right away that we had this ability to be able to communicate with one another through writing from that early age of two until, like I said, about three when he was verbal. And so I really took that time to um, help him to discover what his wants and needs and things like that were through charts. I would just make charts and put them in the house and he'd be able to point or show me, you know, what he needed or what he wanted at the time. And at the time of kind of all of this happening, I was pregnant and it's always a little overwhelming, I like to say, instead of like terrifying or using words that are uh, negative, but yeah, overwhelming to just not know, okay, well, what do we need to look for with this next child? What are some signs that might be able to help me to discover ways I need to support? Um, and so along, you know, DJ is my son's name and he's just doing really great and thriving. And like I said, he starts speaking at about three. And then as soon as he starts speaking, we started to recognize that he has a photographic memory and he's repeating things that he's heard, like quotes and things. He's coming home and writing down words uh, like 7-Eleven. Oh, thank heaven. 7-Eleven, I think was one of the first like terms that he wrote down or Ross dressed for less. And he would just continually show us all of this information that he was bringing home with him. And 
right away, I was just super excited and thought, oh gosh, I can really take advantage of this and just try to teach him as much as I can at this little, you know, growing age that, that he, his brain is taking in all this information. So I started teaching him things like anatomy, um, geography, the periodic table of elements he memorized when he was about four, uh, and things that were just different looking than a, a typical raised child. And so it right away, like I said, 10 years ago, started this journey of neurotypical and neurodiverse kind of perspective and looking at things in a different way. And throughout this, I've really learned how to kind of step back and look at perspective before I act on things um, with emotions, <laughs> because it, it comes with a lot of challenges in teaching a child with neurodiversity how to understand their human needs when it's expressed in a way that is different than people are used to. So yeah, it, it's been a really interesting journey to say the so least. Yeah, it sounds like it. So how did you have to learn to repack what you were trying to teach to someone who viewed things differently, you know, than, than maybe what you were used to or, or how you thought you may have wanted to teach that, that particular topic or subject? Yeah, well, you know, I was really lucky that I had found support right away through early intervention programs. And through those early intervention programs, um, we, you know, there, we had several therapists, but one in particular really took her time to step back and say, okay, let me give you some parent coaching, parent training, because yes, your child needs uh, therapies or, you know, help and resources, but so do parents and parents also need to know how to coach their children and how to be involved in those exact same types of interactions. So she, we were so lucky that she turned to us and just said, okay, I want you to start with this simple game of try connecting with him because connection was uh, something that he was really struggling with. He was very immersed in his own education and academic learning, but he was definitely not interested in social interactions with, with people. So we just started with the simple game of ready, set, go. Whether it was run down the hallway or, you know, throw a rock in the, in the river behind the house or something, just something simple that we could set up this ready, set, go and interact with him. And he would get so excited about it um, because he knew that we were trying to kind of enter his world rather than forcing him to enter ours and act appropriately in our you know, way of thinking. So yeah, it, it definitely took some learning about autism, learning that it was a different way of thinking rather than a set of behaviors or a way of living. You know, it, it's a it's a different way of thinking. And it's taken, I mean, I've been advocating for a decade, and it's definitely taken up till this point for me to have the flexibility and the perspective, you know, perspective that I do have. And I would really say that it was about five years ago, we took our son to uh, a neuro 
a neuropsychologist to get an IQ test because we were just interested. He was at that point, eight years old. He was speaking five or six languages that he had self-taught. He played piano, just, I mean, just all of these incredible things that were just happening all the time. And so we, we took him in and, and it was through that, that I was taking what's called an ADOS test, which is an autism uh, scale basically to measure your child's autism for their rating system. And it was in that, that I recognized all of these traits in my husband. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've been living with autism this whole time. And I've made all of these accommodations as a partner and a wife and a best friend to this man that I love and honor. And, you know, here he is like struggles with, um, with food aversions and like eating around people and, you know, just things that never I never really, you know, had to deal with, or that I never accommodated for other people in just not out of respect, of course, or anything, but you know, you just don't make those, you don't think about those things. And so I started to see, oh my gosh, this is really why my son has issues with food and things because so does his dad. And I started to see all of these similarities that were right in front of me the whole time, but I couldn't, I couldn't see them clearly. I, I hadn't recognized that my husband's five hour sleep patterns were the same exact problems we were having in trying to help our son with his crazy, what now I call the new moon schedule sleep patterns. You know, it's like two weeks in the day, two weeks at night. And I've, I've learned to accommodate and let him have his own like biological needs met rather than have a societal need met by having a bedtime or a, you know, like those, those things come with flexible thinking. They come with a taking the box away and realizing that you have to do things differently. Yes, I could have forced things. Yes, I could have punished or, you know, taken things away and made everyone's life miserable in the house in, in ways that so many of us were raised and grew up with, you know, principal parenting is what I like to call it. And we kind of had to remove those things because our child wasn't doing things out of intention or principle to go against the rules. You know, he was trying to meet his own biological needs. And who are we as humans as, as to not respect other humans' biological needs when it comes to those things. And I think that that's quite a different parenting style that I've adopted and I'm trying to, to share, but it, it's a hard thing for people to embrace. Um, and that's okay because we're all on our own journey and our own path and whatever part we're at, we just need to realize and give grace and understanding to those, you know, other families that, might be struggling more or less, perhaps. Right. So yeah. Uh, so one of my friends has a child who's autistic, and uh, so for 
my day work, I do logo design and I do my, I make t-shirts and, and all this kind of stuff. And so I made a shirt for her that said, I'm not being naughty. I'm autistic with the autistic, uh, the autism, uh, um, ribbon there. That's what I'm looking yeah. for. The <laughs> autism ribbon, um, on the front of the shirt. And she said that that helped somewhat because, yeah. you know, when she would go to the store, people would give her dirty looks because her child was unable to sit still. And it wasn't because yeah. he was trying to be naughty. He wasn't trying to be a bad, he's a, he's a wonderful little boy. Yeah. He's just, he's struggling trying to figure out who and what he is and, mm-hmm. and, you know, to deal with what he's, what he's dealing with. Um, so, you know, she said that that helped a little bit. So how do you help your child in it? Cause as you're saying that, you know, talking about that made me yeah. think of this experience with my friend and their child. And, you know, she's had to sit down and talk with, with their son about people's expectations around them and, and trying to frame it in a conversation that he can, that will matter to him, that will, will mm-hmm. be understandable for him. So have you had to do that with your children as well, to sit them down and explain the difference between them and someone else because of, because of autism? You know, that's a great question. And I love that story too, because it is so relatable to families and yeah, people, um, it's helpful for them to understand that autism affects senses and makes our sensory overload so high, uh, visual sensory overload, audio sensory overload, you know, physical sensory overload. And there's a lot of things that come with that that the world is still needing to understand and and catch up on that information. Uh, And so, yeah, when they do see a child at the grocery store that's, you know, acting out, it's never anyone's um, right to think anything about, I mean, I I personally just am a big fan of don't judge other people. (laughs) So, but you know, maybe that's come with the fact that those types of things have happened to me, that I have been at the grocery store, that my son has thrown himself on the ground, has thrown groceries across an aisle. And it is so uh, important in that moment that you have enough strength to kind of pick yourself up emotionally, you know, in that moment that I have looked around and said, this is autism. Thanks for coming. Like, this is what it looks like. This is, you know, what you're looking at. Like, please don't think otherwise. I don't, didn't say that, but just to kind of give them an idea, but yeah, we my husband and I have uh, strategize, do we make like a vest that says, you know, I have autism, please be patient. Do we add those types of things to when we go out, you know, in the last 24 months, we haven't taken our son out due to the pandemic and things like that. And so we, we haven't had to have those situations happen in the last bit, but, um, he's also, always understood that he has autism, but I don't know how much that understanding affects him. He is, uh, it's so, it's so, I wish you could meet him and he was awake so you could, you could see what I'm talking about, but um, with his, you know, high academic levels and he loves to talk and he has a very high vocabulary and can really impress people at the same time, he doesn't have the understanding of social communication or 
the ways that a conversation moves and is expected to, you know, I speak and then you speak and then I speak and then you bring up a topic that you like or that then you question or ask about a topic that I like. Those aren't types of things that he is um, accessible with yet, but we're always working on those things. But our daughter, um, interestingly enough, was just diagnosed about six weeks ago. And she is 10. And so now we have this super interesting uh, perception and perspective to say, okay, well, here we go again, autism right under our nose for an entire decade. And we've been looking at things all wrong. Like this is, this is so different from male to female. It is so, so extremely different. Just like we know hormones and males and females are different already. Well, guess what? When you throw neurodiversity into it, it is a whole different ballgame. And that is something that the world just doesn't know yet. They think about autism and they think of Sheldon on Third Rock or whatever, or they think of Rain Man, or they think of a nine-year-old boy with autism having a meltdown. They don't think about the females. They don't think about how this, um, you know, autism has increased 700% since the 1970s. It, that is a alarming, crazy increase of numbers. And yes, it's come with the fact that we have internet and we have kind of this open uh, display of what things look like now on a big picture. We can see much more clearly where we couldn't before. It was just kind of marginalized, right? Um, but it's still unknown. There's still so much unknown that even the expert, you know, the expertest expert of autism could still be learning every single day something right. new. Yeah. I, I think years past it would have been overlooked as just uh, he's different and it would have been pawned away and, and, and kind of shied away from instead of nowadays, we, we tend to tackle these topics a little more head on. And, yeah. you know, we try to remove the stigma from, from these type of topics so that these differences instead of being ostracized can be celebrated and could be looked at uh, appropriately in a more civilized society as we mm -hmm. as we keep saying that's what we're trying to be a civilized society <laughs> uh, you know so it makes sense to me that that these the number of cases would certainly have increased would certainly have gone up that makes sense to me um, so let's jump a little bit forward in your story because so you've you've gone through having uh, multiple children with autism your husband uh, deals with autism and so when did you decide that because you talked about being an advocate for for over 10 years now so when did you decide that I need to do something more about yeah. the situation of autism with that I live in and that I'm experiencing when when and how did that come about yeah. I would say uh probably when he was in preschool. And I recognized right away that there was a lot of um, care that I was going to have to put into the teachers and the school and relationships with the people in those kinds of administrative positions so that he could get the right kind of support. And it wasn't 
easily given. Um, when he hit first grade, in fact, we were denied access to school and said that they were no longer able to accommodate his um, academic ways of thinking. And I was um, just forced to homeschool him, not, which was fine. It's, it worked out better for us anyways, but he, because he, he had been an eloper and had left school um, and that's just, you know, can't be, you can't trust people to, <laughs> to have your kids out in the world sometimes. But um, basically, I recognized the school had asked me if I would be interested in being a parent advocate, uh, basically a special needs parent advocate, I think is what they called it, um, where okay. I would be involved with other parents that needed help. And I think that they just saw that I was so involved and that I wanted to be so involved. And so that kind of is where it started. And then um, it was probably about eight years ago that I started writing children's books. And it actually started about physical differences and then it rolled into, well, I can include autism in these, uh, in this information and dyslexia, Down syndrome, anxiety, and I can really show children how to respond when they come across somebody with these differences. And uh, the books are just amazing. They've been just such a blessing for our children who have been a part, have taken part of them, have are proud of them, you know, and they, it's about them. It's going to be books that'll be about them, like for their whole life and forever for their grandkids, blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, so that's kind of where that started. And then through that, I, you know, wanted to market the books, obviously. So I started doing podcasts as a guest and just, over about, I don't know, 15 podcasts or so, somebody finally said, you really need to get your own show. Like, this is great. You're a great on the, on the microphone. Get used to start your own show. It's like me, what, you know, just kind of like, <laughs> I, I didn't even have a clue. Like, are you kidding me? Um, but it was really great timing because we had an incident in our community um, I'm in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and we had an incident that in involved uh, a police shooting of mm. a 13 year old with autism. Okay. And he, he did, it was not fatal, so he's fine, but it really shook up the community, not to mention, it really shook me. And I thought, here sure. I have this 11 year old who is the size of an eight year old who has gigantic aggressive behavior sometimes when things are overwhelming and you know have gone wrong and that could be misunderstood in so many ways oh yeah very easy and terrifying to think that the people that protect our communities can also you know and so I saw right away the need for training for them number one. And not only that, but parent training. I think it's so important that we reach our families and our parents and the, you know, people that work with people or have people with autism, they need to also know how to communicate in those situations. They also need to have the right tools and the right um, ways to you know, get the message across. And so it really needs to be looked at and, and, and whatever, but um, 
one of the things that happened with that is that I had said to my husband, like, I need a louder voice. This is, this isn't enough. I need to be louder. And so I started a Facebook group called autism advocates support group. And that was, I think last September. And now we're like 750 members. Uh, it's just, it's growing so beautifully. And I wanted it to be kind of like a crisis support group so that if your child okay. was in crisis, you could lean on um, a, a member in your community in an autism, you know, that understood that could come out because between me and my husband, he said, I could have taken that boy down in the middle of the street with like, you know, the mm-hmm. football tackle or something like that didn't need to happen. Right. And so we just really started to kind of see, well, where can we make a difference in our community? Um, and so started the SJ Child Show, which it has been so amazing and not only has helped me to have a voice, be an educator for autism and, and things like that, but it has also given me the opportunity to meet the most amazing people. <laughs> around the world. And, you know, yeah. that's how, how I found you. And it's, it's so incredible that, that this medium could bring so many incredible opportunities along with it. Um, we've, I've started to work with a, another woman in my community who does sensory real estate, basically. And she helps autism families find um, real estate. And then she sets up sensory rooms for their special needs. Child. Oh, how cool. Yeah, she's incredible. And That's amazing. It is so neat. And so her, she had the idea and had worked uh, in another state prior on their hospital. And so I got a hold of our children's hospital here in Utah and said, hey, we'd love to talk to you about transitioning um, your emergency department with a sensory room for special needs kids. So now we are partnering up with the hospital here in town and working on getting a sensory room and a treatment room just for special needs. And along with that will come the staff training. And um, like I said, on my part, the family training so that when families go to the emergency room, they know what they need to tell them. They know the information they need to arm those emergency rooms responders with in order to get the right kind of care. So some just incredible, incredible things that 10 years ago, you couldn't have told me <laughs> I would number one, be on camera all the time and be happy right? with it. <laughs> right? No, I, yeah. I found a new love for myself doing podcasting. I reinvented awesome. the, the me that was the stay at home mom for too long, uh, you know, and just really came out of my shell and was able to, to grow in a whole new way that I hadn't, hadn't expected. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I was looking through your, your list of guests and I think this is why it's important that we, that one podcaster talks to another podcaster because sometimes when we only listen to one podcast for a while, uh, we get used to hearing things in, in one narrative and we get used to hearing things in, in one direction and, and one type of guest maybe. But I, I, one of the things I loved about looking through your list of guests is that it's not that. You have, uh, you have authors, you have 
parenting coaches you uh you've had a nascar driver on you've had s- several different celebrities on you know uh writers directors producers of, of tv and film and all people who are dealing with autism in one way or another and i think it's wonderful because that helps us to see that it's not a one one lane one channel narrative that's happening here because this is something that affects the entire entirety of the world and yeah. it's not just this one little uh community I think it's a community that gets overlooked often, but I don't think that it's it's not just one little community. I think that's why it's so important to have conversations like this where we hear that it's, you know, the real life uh, expectations and the reality of people who are dealing with this on a day-to-day basis. So I have two questions I want to ask you, Sarah, and these are the same two questions I ask every single guest who's ever been on my show. So looking back over the entirety of your experience, what is the single greatest lesson that you have learned? Oh, wow. I guess over just this autism experience or <laughs> I'm like, hmm, a couple things come to mind, but I would say patience. I mean, having to rewrite and re-act, you know, in a whole nother way than number one, I was raised or that I thought I would raise my children and learning how to communicate in a different way that was more effective for my family. So yeah, I think patience is really a big part of it. Okay. Excellent. Well, the second question is very similar to the first, and it goes this way. Looking back over the entirety of your experience, what is the single greatest piece of advice that you have been given? A little bit of knowledge can turn fear into understanding. I like that. Because when we can arm our kids with knowledge, they can move forward with understanding and they're not confused you know confusion causes fear and vice versa so we hit that head on and we can make big leeway excellent okay very good so sarah if people are interested in learning more about you about your podcast your books which are awesome and they are adorable by the way Um, (laughs) so if people are interested in learning more about all of these things, where can they go to find out more about you? Yeah, absolutely. You're welcome to go straight to my website, sjchilds.org. Um, SJ Childs, I'll just tell you real quick, is my author name and my host name. And I just came up with it. <laughs> That's all that is to that. But yeah, you can also find me on all social medias, um, uh, SJ Childs, and on Facebook, uh, Sarah Bradford. Okay, excellent. And so the uh, podcast is available on, on all the major platforms, uh, I would every, assume. Yep, all the podcast platforms and on YouTube, because it is a video cast. So you can come okay. and see and watch, yeah, all the great episodes. Like you said, there's tons of great autism episodes um, with so many, so much different diversity. It's just incredible the amount of people that I've been able to reach. And, you know, there's other like fun ones on there too, some parenting ones. And um, 
yeah, some, some interesting, interesting guests that, oh my gosh, Excellent. what a pleasure it's been. It's always a journey, isn't it? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for sharing your story. And I hope that uh, people are able to, to realize and understand that, that uh, just because someone has autism, it doesn't mean that, uh, that there's someone to be shied away from or avoided. It's, it's a, it's a condition that we, you know, like many other conditions we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And so I love the fact that we can take this opportunity and I'm going to use your advice that you gave just a moment ago to turn knowledge uh, from fear into understanding. Yep. So I love that. Now a little bit of knowledge can turn fear into understanding. That's, that's very profound, actually. I Thank quite you. It's that. actually me and my husband's like own quote that we made for our show. That's wonderful. So. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much. <laughs> I hope I, you know, we want it to be profound and, and, and make a difference. So we, we hope to keep doing that. Well, you know, like I say many times, if, if somebody listens to this and we affect one person, that's all we need to do. One person for job. positive change. We've done our job. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. hundred percent. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. All right, guys, that's going to conclude us today for focused on forward. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Well, that concludes another episode of Focused on Forward. To be a guest of Focused on Forward, you can reach us through Twitter at PodcastFOF, through our Facebook page named Focused on Forward, or through email, focusedonforward at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told. So until then, be safe, be kind, and be loving to one another as you stay focused on forward.